Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? Ew, seriously. They squeeze the grease out of the wool and process it with chemicals, and then you eat it. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I got rid of products I didn't want anywhere near my body. I found that many multivitamins contained high amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and even lacked some of the nutrients we actually needed. So what did I do? At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. Ritual's products are made traceable, meaning we share the science and sourcing for every single ingredient. For example, our vegan vitamin D3 comes from sustainably harvested lichen in Nottingham, England, not sheep. We trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. See for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. This is Cruise Radio. I cruise a lot and I always sail with travel insurance. You should too. Get a free quote today at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is This is Cruise Radio. How's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thanks for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio, a review of Royal Caribbean Serenade of the Seas this week. Sherry Laskin is here with Cruise News and answering a couple of your questions about cruising during hurricane season with travel insurance. I'm getting the show up 24 hours early this week because I'm kind of racing against the storm here and it's about 30 miles an hour outside right now. So I want to get it up before I lose power. And I don't trust the generator at the radio station, to be honest with you. So Sherry Laskin is here with Cruise News. Hi, Sherry. Hey, Doug. Disney Cruise Line finally named their upcoming ship and they gave some information about their upcoming private destination. They did. They released a lot of information and this happened at their annual D23 Expo in Anaheim, California. And this is where they release the name of their newest and fifth ship. So with a little help from Tinkerbell, Disney fans at Expo were the first to hear that Disney Wish is scheduled for delivery in late 2021 and is expected to set sail beginning January 2022. For Disney Wish, the ship's stern will feature Rapunzel. As Disney said, This is how they put it. She's spirited, smart, curious, and above all, adventurous. Rapunzel embodies the wish and desire to see and experience the world. So the figure at the back of the ship will be Rapunzel. Disney Wish will be slightly larger than the Disney Dream and Disney Fantasy, and it will be powered by liquefied natural gas. The ship will weigh approximately 144,000 tons and accommodate... 1,250 staterooms. Also, and you just mentioned this, at the D23 Expo, Disney revealed new information that also included its second island destination in the Bahamas. It will be located on the island of Eleuthera at Lighthouse Point. Disney completed the purchase of privately owned Lighthouse Point earlier this year and signed an agreement with the government of the Bahamas that guides the responsible and sustainable way the site will be developed. Disney is committed to develop less than 20% of the property. Construction will begin only after an environmental impact assessment and environmental management plan are reviewed and accepted. So construction could begin as soon as 2020 with completion in late 2022 or 23. 
Hurricane Dorian caused two Norwegian cruise line ships to end their cruise in a different state. Yeah, and we hear about this every once in a while. So two Norwegian cruise line ships that were supposed to return to Florida are now being diverted to New Orleans. So with Port Canaveral and Port Miami being closed, that gave the cruise line no other option. Norwegian Breakaway's Sunday scheduled return to Miami on September 1 was canceled. The cruise will instead conclude in New Orleans on September 3rd. And the other ship, Norwegian Sun, that departed from Port Canaveral on Thursday, August 29th, will also be ending the cruise in New Orleans on the same date, September 3rd. Norwegian Cruise Line has said they will assist guests in returning to Miami but no further information was included. I know a lot of people are very curious about the storm and the damage and their itinerary changes. So what we're going to do is this weekend's episode of Cruise Radio Rewind. We'll dedicate the whole show just to Hurricane Dorian coverage and the status of the private islands and the itinerary changes and all this stuff. I just didn't want to get too much into it on Cruise News because this is a podcast and it's not like, you know, breaking news here. So uh, moving on to the next one, more hybrid-powered cruise ships are coming online. Right, and this is Hertegruten, the Norwegian cruise line. They just announced that it will rename three of their ships as part of its 2021 expedition expansion. And in addition to their new names, the the three ships will be converted to hybrid-powered expedition cruise ships, and they'll be equipped with battery packs and other types of green technology. The three ships will also be equipped for shore power when it's available. The project is estimated to be valued at over $100 million. The three ships will operate year-round expedition cruises along the Norwegian coastline beginning in 2021. The itineraries have not yet been announced. They should be in the works pretty soon, maybe by the end of this year. One cruise line is going for the world record for the longest voyage ever. I like this one. So on August 31st, Viking guests embarked on a new world cruise, which is named, of course, the ultimate world cruise. And this is Viking Cruise Line, of course, that I'm talking about. So this 245-day voyage will visit six continents, 51 countries, and 111 ports. The 930-passenger Viking Sun departed from London in an attempt to complete the longest-ever continuous cruise to fully circumnavigate the globe. The ship is scheduled to return to London in May of 2020. Viking will attempt also to set the Guinness World Record for, as it's being called, the longest continuous passenger cruise. So an official Guinness World Record adjudicator will confirm the successful attempt with a certificate presentation when the ship, of course, returns to London. So if you're wondering what this 245-day adventure might cost, well, rates began at 92990 U.S. dollars. I guess it's a good value for 240-something days of not having to cook, clean, or do anything after yourself. I suppose so. But, you know, if you're a single passenger, what, are you paying almost $200,000? Yeah, for sure. You're dropping $200,000 there. But, hey, if you can afford to do this and take this 245-day cruise or whatever it is, more power to you. Come on the show when you get back. I'd love to have you on. Listener (laughs) question here comes from Amy. Amy says, my husband and I are going on Carnival Valor on September 23rd out of New Orleans. I'm worried that our flight to Minneapolis is too close to the time 
the ship arrives back in port. The flight leaves New Orleans at 1045. What's the best way to approach this? Because Faster to the Fun was sold out. Any suggestions? Wow. Well, yes, Amy, you are correct. Your 1045 a.m. flight is booked way too close to the time your ship is expected to dock. And of course, you know, as you are now aware, several hiccups could happen. And the first is, of course, that your ship doesn't even clear debarkation in time. Sometimes it could be 9, 9.30. Second, there's a lot of fog and river traffic that could happen as you approach New Orleans. That could slow your ship's arrival time into New Orleans and pushing it even later. And third, remember, it's a, at least, and it's taken me up to 45 minutes, for a highway drive from the port to the airport. Now, there is a little bit of good news because I just checked and you're returning on a Saturday morning. So hopefully traffic on the highway won't be an issue. So you know, don't panic just yet. But I did come up with a couple of options or ideas. And first, of course, there's the early walk-off self-assist option. And if you choose that, just keep in mind, there won't be anyone to help you with your luggage, but you will be among the first to leave the ship as soon as it's cleared, which again, could be delayed, let's hope not. And if self-assist walk-off isn't possible for you, then I might suggest that you get in contact with the ship's hotel director at the very beginning of your cruise. Tell him or her about you know, the fact that you booked this too early flight and you would love to be able to leave with the very first group. And you can also plead your case to someone at the front desk, but, you know, it's really best just to go straight to the top. And, you know, as Carnival always does and all ships do, there's photographs of all the officers right by the front desk. So if you can come up with a name as you approach someone at the front desk to schedule an appointment, say, you know, I'd like to meet with so-and-so, um, it sounds like you already know what you're doing. And and then remember also when you exit the ship, you know, you might have trouble finding a taxi. So my suggestion, you know, everybody else is trying to find one too. So if you don't already have uh, the Uber or Lyft apps on your phone, I think you should download them before you leave for your cruise. And then if, uh, you know, all else fails, you can order your ride share as soon as you have claimed your luggage and are allowed to use your phone in that location or... If you're doing early self-assist walk-off, you, you can order your ride as soon as you smell fresh air. Good luck, Amy. I hope this works out. Sounds like you've got a great trip planned, so fingers crossed. By the way, you can send your listener emails to Doug at cruiseradio.net. Sorry, I'm a little scattered today with this storm out there and getting ready and everything. So with that said, we've been talking with Sherry Laskin at cruisemaven.com. Thank you, Sherry. Bye-bye. It's hurricane season. Hurricane Dorian out there spinning around at the time of recording, which means we are getting a lot of travel insurance-related questions. Fielding your questions today is Dan Skilkin from tripinsurance.com. Hi, Dan. Hi, Doug. Thank you for having me on. First question comes from Derek. What travel insurance policy do I need to purchase to make sure I'm covered by hurricane insurance? Derek, the the devil's in the detail on these plans because depending upon how the plan is written will depend upon how good the hurricane coverage is in a travel insurance plan. So the features that I look for in these plans are whether or not they have um, a provision for hurricane warning, and most of the plans do, but a hurricane warning being issued for your trip destination. I've got some plans that don't have that on our site. The one that does is U.S. Fire. The second one has to do with mandatory evacuation being declared due to bad weather or a natural disaster. 
and turns out the U.S. Fire has that provision as well. Uh, and then there is typically a provision for travel delay due to bad weather, and almost every policy has got that. So you want to take a look at the provisions of the plan itself to see what your level of coverage is. But I'm most sensitive to a hurricane warning being uh, issued for your trip destination. Araya has a next question. Is there a limit or a deadline of when I need to purchase the hurricane insurance by? Well, if the hurricane is named before you buy the plan, you're not covered for that hurricane. What that means is that travel insurance will only cover you for an unknown loss. If you already know that you potentially have a loss, let's say you've bought uh, a cruise and now a hurricane has been declared, uh, but you didn't buy travel insurance for it, and then you scramble around to try to buy travel insurance to cover you for that hurricane, it's too late. None of the insurance companies in the market will cover a claim if you buy the insurance plan after the hurricane is named. So we recommend people uh, get their travel insurance as soon as possible, preferably within 14 days of making your initial deposit for your cruise. Then you're covered. And if a hurricane comes up, you're covered for that hurricane because it will happen after, after you buy the plan. Okay, so I have a question because you said the devil is in the details. So if the National Hurricane Center is tracking a low-pressure system or an invest, basically a name before they officially name the storm – you could still buy travel insurance. Does that make sense? Because the storm isn't officially named yet. Yes, it makes perfect sense. If if it's just they're, they're, if they're tracking bad weather and they know about bad weather, but they haven't named a hurricane yet, you're still covered if you buy insurance before they actually name it. But when they give it a name, they know it has a trajectory. It, you know, it has an intensity. Uh, they understand it's it's a hurricane, and they've defined it as a hurricane and given it a name. And the insurance companies actually um, go to the website and find out the dates on when the hurricanes are named, and that's when they figure out whether or not there's coverage for a named hurricane or not. So the claims departments are actually pulling the data straight from um, National Weather Service. Our third question comes from Craig. What is the difference between trip cancellation, trip interruption, and a trip delay? Well, I'm assuming that they are specifically concerned about the hurricane's impact on trip cancellation, trip interruption, and and travel delay. Let me talk about travel delay first. Uh, If any common carrier causes a delay in your travel, you are typically covered for that. The insurance company will cover uh, extra cost of hotel if you have to spend the night in the airport. Uh, It will cover the cost to to, um, uh, resume your trip if there's extra uh, ticket costs. Um, it will also cover any loss on the cruise itself. So if you have a travel delay getting to the point of departure, the insurance company is going to cover the cost to get to the next port of departure, but they'll also cover the lost portion of your cruise, that day of the cruise that you lost because of the travel delay. So, so uh, this is what travel delay is covering. Trip cancellation and trip interruption really have to do with whether or not you're canceling your trip and what's going on. Trip interruption is happening after the trip started, and you've got to cancel to go home. Uh, a typical reason for trip interruption might be you got hurt and you need to return home. Somebody at home got hurt and you need to, to, to go home to take care of them or a death in the family. Those are typically the, the trip interruption, and that's covering the balance of your vacation that you're losing as well as the, cost, the extra cost to get you home. 
Uh, trip cancellation is very specific uh, in that they are covering cancellation costs prior to departure. And there are some provisions in the plans, for instance, that if a delay causes you to miss more than 50% of the cruise, they'll cover you for trip cancellation entirely. So you get stuck in an airport, you're only going to be on a weekend cruise or something like that, and you're missing a lot of it, more than half of it. They'll cover the cancellation for you prior to departure. Well said. Thank you for breaking that down for us. Um, so do you get a lot of questions for travel insurance during storms? I mean, I've gotten over a dozen the past three days, and I'm not even in the insurance industry, but people are wanting to know how it comes into play. Well, one that we recently got um, from one of our customers uh, out of Ohio, uh, Josh contacted us out of Ohio and said that he had recently purchased the U.S. Fire Easy Gold Plan for a cruise, and he had a question about hurricane coverage. The plan said that he'd be covered if he had to cancel the trip within 36 hours of the scheduled departure due to a hurricane warning in the area, and he wanted to know, if does that mean that if Miami, his departure port, was under a hurricane warning 24 hours before the scheduled departure, that he would be covered for cancellation? And we contacted U.S. Fire about this specifically and got an answer back, and this had a lot to do with the language was specifically keyed off of destinations. If your destination is under a hurricane warning, then you'll be covered. So U.S. Fire asked us to, to find out whether or not Josh was driving to the cruise or whether he was flying to the cruise or he was spending the night in a hotel prior to the cruise. If he was just driving to the cruise and arrived the day of the cruise and then was going to get on the cruise, then Miami would not be a destination. Miami would be his point of departure, and the coverage would start when he got on the cruise and left. Mm -hmm. So he wouldn't be covered for a hurricane warning in those circumstances. But if he's flying to Miami, which most people are flying to the cruise destination, and they have paid or using points and they've, they've, they've paid taxes, et cetera, but they actually have booked travel to get to Miami, or they have a hotel the night before in Miami, even if they drove and they have a covered, they have prepaid hotel that they covered under the travel insurance. At that point, Miami is considered a destination as part of their trip. And then they're covered if Miami goes under a, a travel warning, a hurricane warning. So in this case, it's, it's, it's a great benefit to have bought the travel insurance at that point because Miami is going to go under a hurricane warning. You probably don't want to take the cruise anyway, and then you're covered for trip cancellation at that point. So I, I think it's a smart move, um, particularly for all of these East Coast trips right now, to have bought travel insurance in advance and, and know you've got the coverage. You mentioned points, which brings me to a question. If I use points or miles to fly to Miami and it only costs me $11.50, is that all I would get back on the claim is the $11.50? That's correct. Okay. That's correct because the points themselves are not, uh, are not um, uh, insurable, but the cash is. Mm -hmm. But what's important is to include those taxes in your trip cost. Because then that airline ticket is covered, those points, you know, that the, the, the taxes are covered, and now Miami is, is considered a destination, and you're covered in the event of a, of a hurricane warning being declared for Miami. 
A few moments ago, you were talking about travel interruption. So let's say I paid $1,000 for the cruise. I had to fly home because of an emergency halfway through the cruise. I could then file a claim to get the other $500 back or half of my cruise fare back? Yes, you could. If you are filing a claim for trip interruption for a covered reason, yes, you can file not only for your medical expenses that might have been on the cruise or, or, or whatever the problems were, as well as the balance of the cruise that you lost. Okay. Been talking with Dan Skilkin from TripInsurance.com. Dan, thanks for coming on and breaking down this hurricane travel insurance coverage for us, my friend. Doug, my pleasure. And if anybody else has any questions about uh, hurricane uh, season or coverage for travel insurance that we haven't covered on the show today, please feel free to send us an, an email at support at tripinsurance.com. Even if you're not buying travel insurance from us, we are happy to help. This is Cruise Radio. When is your next cruise? Where are you going? And what are you going to do once you get there? Market-leading specialist CruisingExcursions.com offers savings up to 60% offshore excursions versus cruise line prices. Whether it's private, shared, scenic, historic, or family tours, CruisingExcursions.com has up to 12,000 excursions in over 700 ports worldwide. You can even bundle your excursions for more savings. Make your next vacation a affordable and unforgettable by visiting cruisingexcursions.com. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer, if you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker from my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out tripinsurance.com. Check out our blog, the video page, and interact at cruiseradio.net. So Ryan returned from a 10-night cruise on Royal Caribbean Serenade of the Seas out of Port Everglades. It was an Eastern Caribbean itinerary, and he joins us on the line. How you doing, Ryan? Great, Doug. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, buddy. So you're up in Ottawa, Canada, and you had to we make are. your way down to Port Everglades for this 10-night cruise. But as we always do, we're going to take a step back and get some pre-cruise thoughts. What made you want to take this 10-night cruise on Serenade of the Seas? And part of me thinks because you're in Ottawa in the wintertime. So that was a huge factor is uh, the Canadian winters can be pretty rough, and we wanted to get away for a little bit more than a week this time. And being first-time cruisers, this 10-night sailing with Royal Caribbean really fit what we were looking for. Um, There was five ports, and one of them was St. Martin, which we visited a few years ago before the hurricane, and uh, absolutely loved the island. Just curious, because you're a first-time cruiser here, when it come time to book this cruise, was it a price thing, an itinerary thing, the ship itself, or was it kind of the perfect storm of everything? That's exactly it. It was the perfect storm. I had been doing a lot of research with different cruise lines, with different itineraries, and uh, this one fell uh, right at the beginning of February, and it had great pricing. Uh, We booked it in May, 
um, over our one of our Canadian long weekends, and there was a great sale on, and we just had to had to scoop it up. With the Canadian dollar in the U.S. dollar, is it actually? Excuse my ignorance on this, but is it actually costing you more to cruise with uh, down here, or is there like Canadian pricing for Royal Caribbean? There's Canadian pricing, so when we booked it online, we were able to pay in Canadian dollars. But I'm 100% sure that the exchange rate was factored into that price. Okay. Yeah, okay, fair enough. So you make your way from Ottawa down to Port Everglades. Any pre-cruise time in Florida? We stayed uh, one night in a, uh, a really nice Marriott in Fort Lauderdale for the simple reason of Canadian winters, again, can be uh, brutal at times and you never know what you're going to get. So we didn't want to risk missing the ship. Did you stay at that Marriott Harbor Beach in on Lauderdale Beach? No, I don't remember the name of the specific Marriott. It had a beautiful atrium in the center of it, mm-hmm. but it was, a, it was a fantastic hotel. Very good. So it's time to embark Serenade of the Seas. How was the embarkation process? We were extremely happy after uh, hearing a couple horror stories of how long it can take sometimes, but we were curved to ship seven minutes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's there super was, fast. There was a lot of counters open. There was a lot of agents waiting there ready to serve. We were on this trip with uh, my best friend and his wife, and the four of us just got on in no time at all. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. This is your very first cruise. So what were your first impressions once you walked on board Serenade of the Seas? It was the jaw-dropping, big eyes, mm-hmm. couldn't believe what we were seeing, even just walking up the gangway to uh, get onto the ship, couldn't believe how big it was. It was really uh, awe-inspiring as we got on and saw the layout of everything and the, uh, the atrium and the elevators that were all glass, and it was, it was really cool. What's the first thing you did when you got on board? Uh, we went to go check and see if their rooms were ready, and they weren't, but that was okay. We... Uh, had a bite to eat in the buffet, which thankfully wasn't uh, wasn't too busy, and grabbed a drink at the pool bar and then went back at one, and the rooms were ready. What kind of stateroom did you book, and what were your thoughts of it? We booked a large balcony mm-hmm. uh, for the simple reason of, again, it being our first cruise. We didn't know if we might want to have some outdoor space where we could get away from crowds, if there were any, and just have a nice place outside to call our own. Okay. Very good. Yeah. As far as, the, I mean, the 10 nights with the with the two of you in the cabin, was there plenty of space for the clothes and to navigate the stateroom and plugs and all of that? So there wasn't a ton of plugs. There was only the two on the desk, uh, unfortunately, but we made it work. And the suitcases fit underneath the beds great. We had uh, tons of storage still. There was uh, There was no shortage of that. Before we uh, talk about dining, I want to ask you, because you're a first-time cruiser, like, would you cruise in a balcony stateroom again? I would really love to only cruise in balcony okay. again. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, especially on sea days, it was fantastic to just sit out there with a coffee or a drink and just see no land anywhere, and it was just stunning views. I mean, that's the problem, right? Like, my first cruise was an interior cruise when I was a kid, and then as I you know, became an adult, I started booking balcony cabins, and now I'm like... I don't ever know if I want to go back to an interior cabin again after having a balcony room. That's it. I don't yeah. know if I could ever do it. It's uh, and we booked the the large balcony, mm-hmm. so it was there was tons of room. And uh, my best friend and his wife they had the room right next door, so they were out on their balconies as well. It was it was perfect. So with dining on Serenade of the Seas, we'll start at the Windjammer Marketplace, the buffet area. How was the food and the quality in there? It was great. We had no complaints at all. 
they had a couple different theme nights. Taco Tuesday, I think it was, uh, Italian seafood. Lots of variety. On port days, I think half of the buffet was actually closed. They didn't have the full buffet open, but we we never had a problem uh, with variety. And finding a seat sometimes, especially breakfast on port days, was a little bit challenging. But they had the uh, Rita's Cantina seating at the back of the ship open, which was outside. So that was perfect. You could always find room there. So you mentioned a cantina. Was that a venue inside of the Windjammer Marketplace? It was just outside the automatic sliding doors Mm -hmm. uh, that led into the buffet. But not once in our 10 nights that we were on there did we actually see that cantina open. Okay. Um, I think they had it closed the entire time. And they were just using the back of the ship as extra seating. Okay. So how about the main dining room? What time dining did you have and what were your impressions of it? We had my time dining because, again, it was our first time cruising and we didn't want to be held down to a specific schedule. Uh, So we really liked that option. If you didn't make your reservation pretty early in the morning on uh, sea days, you were going to be getting the pretty late uh, dining in the evening. But we loved the food. They had great variety and... We really liked mixing and matching some of the appetizers and desserts. So, yeah, it was, it was great. We had great service and uh, no complaints. Outside of the Windjammer Marketplace and the main dining room, did you do any specialty venues around the ship? We didn't. Uh, the couple we were with, they did. They went to Azumi's mm-hmm. and uh, loved the uh, sushi. Okay. Good. Very yeah. nice. On this 10-night cruise, how was the entertainment? It was good. They had some activities going on by the pool. We didn't take part in a lot of them. We stayed mostly in um, the adults-only solarium area. Mm -hmm. And we saw one show that was a mix of uh, Broadway musicals. Uh, Staff were great. Performers were great. Seating was nice. We were on the right side on the balcony. And uh, seeing the Super Bowl on the ship Mm -hmm. was fun. The theater at the back of the ship was about half full. And uh, there was pretty much a clear majority for for Patriots fans there, which uh, my best friend was. So they were very happy uh, with the outcome of the game. So, yeah. (laughs) Nice. Uh, Outside of the shows, how was the music around the ship, like in the different public spaces or bars? There was uh, a piano player in the schooner bar. He was fantastic. Uh, It was a lot of fun to just grab a a drink after dinner and go down and listen to them playing for a while. And they very often had a live band in the uh, atrium by the bar that uh, you could go sit around or just lean over the the balcony on one of the floors and listen to. Cool. Yeah. How, um, how were the sea days as far as crowds and congestion? I don't believe the ship was full Mm -hmm. uh, on this sailing. So, Again, apart from making your dining reservations early in the morning, I didn't find the ship very crowded at all. If you wanted to get one of the lounge chairs by either of the pools, you needed to be out there at a good hour in the morning. But honestly, as the day went on, uh, different lounge chairs would be open throughout the day and we could just rearrange them and end up sitting together. With the casino in the smoke situation, was that a problem in or around the casino? you knew people were smoking when you went in the casino. Mm. Uh, there was no no hiding that. Uh, you did need to walk through the casino to get to the theater, unless you were on one deck higher, I believe. 
And at one point, sitting by the wine bar just outside the casino, you could smell the smoke coming out. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did you, by chance, book the internet package or the drink package? We did book the internet package. Uh, we booked one uh, to share between the two of us, and it worked out okay. You just had to log off, and the other person would log on, and we made it work. And yes, we definitely got the drink package. It was uh, well used. <laughs> Very nice. So yeah. um, on this 10-night cruise, you had like seven ports of call? Um, five of them, yeah. Five of them, yeah. St. Croix, St. Thomas, Antigua, St. Kitts, and St. Martin, if I can read my chicken scratch. So what we'll, what we'll do here is um, give us the port of call in order if you want, and then give us a highlight from that port, and then move to the next one. Sure. St. Thomas, we uh, went and swam with uh, Stingrays. That was a lot of fun. Um, it was a half an hour boat ride out to sea, and we thought we were going to end up swimming around and not being able to touch the bottom, but we pulled up to a nice sandbar, and uh, all the Stingrays came up and ate squid out of our hands, so it was a lot of fun. Uh, St. Croix, we um, didn't leave the port. We went and wandered around and uh, went to some of the shops, but ended up spending the rest of the day on the ship. Antigua, we took a tour of an old plantation that was really nice. There was, I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, a uh, British gentleman there. And he gave fantastic tours, and there was the nice rum punch at the end. Mm -hmm. St. Kitts, we went to the beach uh, not far from the uh, the cruise port, and that was just, we rented some, uh, some chairs and hung out at the beach for the day. St. Martin, we, of course, went to Maho Beach. Um, when we were there a few years ago, our hotel was right on Maho Beach, and uh, we really wanted to show our friends the planes coming in, as as everyone does. So it was uh, it was a lot of fun. St. Martin was great to be back. There was um, some good rebuilding being done since the hurricane happened. So I was very happy to see that the island is uh, looking like it's on its way to coming back to where it was. Yeah, they still have a little ways to go. It looks like. I mean, I don't know if you they notice do. like the boats in the harbor still. And definitely, yeah, it's yeah. kind of sad. Seeing that with the uh, the excursions you did, like um, the Stingray excursion in St. Thomas or the island tour in Antigua, did you book those through the ship or did you do them third party? We did book those through the ship ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, so we had everything planned out. We did have one tour that we were booked for that unfortunately got canceled uh, due to, to low registrations. But we got a letter uh, in our room the day before and we just went down to guest services and rebooked another one. Yeah. With Antigua, did you just get a cab at the pier? Yeah. 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 And then uh, I'm trying to think, Antigua, I think that is the, do you remember the beach name you went to? I don't. I remember it was Rocky, Mm -hmm. but I don't remember uh, the name of it, no. And then St. Martin just kind of picked up a cab at the port and went to Maho for the day on your own? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, that's pretty much the way to do it, as long as you give yourself enough time on the back end there to get back to the ship. Exactly. And there was a big, um, I think it was Air France uh, plane that was coming in. Mm -hmm. So everyone was waiting for that plane. And you could see people starting to pack up as it got close to the time when that plane was going to land. So we did the same thing, had everything packed up, and we saw the big plane land and then grabbed a cab right away because you could tell uh, everybody else was doing the same thing. Yeah. How was disembarkation once you got back to Port Everglades? Again, seamless. We did self-assist, and we had a nice uh, breakfast down at uh, Windjammer, and then grabbed our bags and walked off. I mean, the longest we waited, I think, was five minutes for a customs officer, and then we were out the door. 
Did you use the digital passport process, or did you just show the uh, the customs agent your passport and then just keep walking? I don't know if the uh, the digital passport option was available to us mm-hmm. on this sailing, so we just showed the uh, passport and we were on our way. Do you have any first time tips to offer anyone sailing either an Eastern Caribbean cruise or serenade of the seas? Yes, do it. Um, <laughs> we had held off a little bit on cruising because we weren't sure if we were going to get seasick at all or if the rooms were going to be too small. So I'm six foot five and fitting in that shower stall. Yeah, it was a little tight, <sighs> but just do it. If you're contemplating a cruise, get out there and take it. Um, we cannot wait to do our next cruise. I mean, being first time cruiser, it always fascinates me. Like as far as your pre-cruise thoughts of the food and actually experiencing the food, did the food blow you away or was it just like regular food? It blew my mind. Yeah. It was fantastic. And I'm a sweets guy. Mm-hmm. So they had a waffle bar open one day. Yeah. And yeah, cruise calories, as you say, don't count. <laughs> so I made use of that in a big way. Looking back, what was your biggest highlight of this cruise? Again, that whole first time cruising experience that everything on this vacation was new. Mm-hmm. Everything was exciting. Seeing the Super Bowl on there was great. And being able to experience the whole trip um, with my best friend and his wife was really fun because it took some convincing to, mm-hmm. to get him to go on this trip. And uh, then it took some convincing to get him off the boat once <laughs> we got back. So he'll probably cruise again too, huh? That's it. Yeah. Have y'all booked another one yet? Not yet. We're maybe going to try and do a 10 or even 14 day one uh, maybe next winter. Okay. Very good. So a final question here, final thoughts of Serenade of the Seas. The ship, you know, it's not part of the Quantum or Oasis class. It is a smaller ship, but don't discount it. It's a fantastic ship. The staff on board were fantastic. Every morning when I went out to get coffees, there were staff out there cleaning the railings, washing down stuff. um, And it's got a very warm and welcoming feel to the ship. Ryan, thanks for coming on the show, my friend. Thanks for having me on, Doug. All right, Dougie, here we go for uh, the new uh, cruise radio stuff here for you. Cruise radio is produced weekly in Jacksonville, Florida. For partnership opportunities, email Doug at cruiseradio.net. Hear cruise radio on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, the Stitcher Radio Network, Google Play, or at cruiseradio.net.